pick up from where we started just a couple of weeks ago. Book of 1 John. 1 John is toward the back of your Bible. It's just before 2 John, and that's just before 3 John. Amen. 1 John, chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 15. We began this study two weeks ago. Obviously, we took a break last week. Brother Olson, Brother and Sister Olson were with us and enjoyed having them with us. And what a great message it was last week. But we're going to pick up from our series that we started last week or two weeks ago, talking about the love of the world. Love of the world. So, First John chapter two and verse number fifteen. glad to be in the presence of the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. 1 John 2 verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Praise God. And so we're going to step into lesson number two of this series on the love of the world. This lesson is discussing the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Amen. So we, we started this new series dealing with the love of the world. And in our first lesson, we defined the words in the Greek for love and world. The world, that, that word carries three distinct definitions. Anybody remember what the Greek word was for world? Yes. Cosmos. That's the Greek word. Now, just so you're aware, in the Greek, it starts with a K, not a C like we use. But cosmos is in the Greek, uh, is the word that is translated for world. Uh, and just so you're aware, it also is translated as uh, adornment in uh, one of Paul's letters. But this, this word, uh, world, carries three distinct definitions or, or applications, is probably more appropriately put. Uh, the application of that word that we're concerned with in these lessons is that the world is the dwelling place of sin and or sinners. It's the fallen creation. It's the, the servitude and the surrender to the prince of the world. So, so it, in other words, it is the order. It is the way of the world. It's philosophies and rudiments. Now, that word rudiments... Uh, we, we often hear it, at least I, I've quoted it many times when we uh, quote you know, that Paul tells us to beware lest any man spoil you out, uh, with philosophies, vain deceits after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. Now that word rudiments, uh, I've never defined it for you, but it means uh, first principles or the elements. In other words, it's the basis for building. It's the foundation for. For order elements that's 
when you, when you talk about the elements of something, it's, it's the basics. It's what everything else is built off of. And so when we talk about the rudiments of the world, uh, it's the elements, the, 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 what, what the world's philosophies and teachings and instructions and ways are all built off of. And the word in the, in the original Greek uh, is uh, uh, stoiken, and that means the elements or first principles. And again, it's the basis uh, for teaching and instruction. It's the beginning of the order or ways, in this case, of the world. So when we talk about the rudiments of the world, we've got to be careful of those things, just the basis elements that pull you in. That's what happens. Just the start is what pulls you in, and we'll talk more about that tonight. Uh, so it's this thing called the world, this application that John is telling us to not love. Of all the people, John understood what love is. Uh, the usage of the English word love in our text it comes from two different Greek words. Does anybody remember those two Greek words that we talked about last week or two weeks ago? No? That's, that's one of the four that, that is used, but, but we specifically pointed out two. Agape is one of them, yes. And the other one is a variation of that. No? Close. <laughs> no idea what he's doing. But yes, you're, you're close. So agape, you'll, you'll remember as soon as I say this, agape is the noun, right? Agape is the noun. In other words, that means the existence of the thing. So if, if you are you, you are a noun. You exist. You are a thing, a person. That's a noun, right? Go back to English class. You're, you're a noun just simply by existing. Everybody with me? But what gives you personality is your life. It's the actions. And so the other Greek word that is used is a variation of agape. It's the verb form. And that's agapeo. Not agapo, but agapeo. And agapeo is the verb. It is the fulfillment of that love. So it's not just the existence of love, but love needs to be put into action. And agapeo is that action. It's, the, it's what flows from the existence of love. Everybody with me? Okay, just, this is all review. So what has to happen is we have to have a right understanding of sin and the wiles or workings of the devil. Uh, and, and, by, and we do that by identifying and rejecting the order and the, the ways or the elements of the world. The question is always right to ask yourself, what are the ways that you are loving the world? What are you bringing into your life from the world? If we love the world, John said, the love of the Father is not in us. Folks, that, that needs to wake us up. That needs to shake us a bit. In other words, it's our choice. And that's usually what it boils down to, is choice. But we must not miss something else that John stated in the first verse of our text. He said to 
Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And I wish I had, I wish I had one of those globes. You know the globes that you can open up the top and you can put stuff in it? Are you, are you picturing it in your mind? That would help, help illustrate this a little bit. It's, 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 it's not just the world and, and its ways, but, but you open it up and there's things in the world that we tend to find ourselves lured into and caught by, ensnared by. And we'll talk about that again in just a little bit. So, love not the world, he says, neither the things that are in the world. So it's not just a love of the world's systems, its orders, or its philosophies. There's something in the world that is dangerous as well. It reminds me of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, the Garden of Eden. God told Adam not to eat of the tree. And so if you're not to eat of it, why even go near it, right? It just makes sense, doesn't it? But John is making a similar statement. He says, don't love the world or its fruit. Or what comes from it. What is found in it. It's not even worth playing the game, he says. Okay? Let me, as I was preparing for this tonight, there's a further uh, study that, I, that you know, the Lord was just opening, opening up for me as I was preparing for this. But, but the problem is that Eve saw the tree, and when you read the Scripture, the Bible tells us that when she saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's what the scripture says. Now, let, I'll go ahead and put it in here, but, but notice that. It was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. What does John tell us is in the world? The lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Simply by doing what she did, by, by seeing that this tree, it was good for food, lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant, lust of the eyes. And it was a tree that could make you wise, pride of life. Just in this one act, she found the, the deception of these three things that John is here talking about. That Jesus was tempted with when he was in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So she took of the fruit and she ate it, gave it to Adam and he ate it. And the devil in his deception twisted uh, the word of the Lord and uh, because God had told Adam that he could eat of every tree. And pay attention to this. God said, you can have every tree. Just not that one. 
Now, go, I encourage you to go back and read the Scripture. God said you can have all of it, just not that one. But the devil twisted it and said to Eve, has God told you that you can't eat of every tree? You notice the difference? God says you can have all of this. The devil says that God said you can't have all of it. Notice that? So, the devil used that, and he asked Eve, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? But Eve, in her deception, she was deceived. She replied, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now when you go back into Genesis chapter 2, you can see that God had told Adam simply not to eat of the tree. Somewhere, somehow, she added this in her mind that God said not to eat of it, neither shall you touch it. From what we have record of in Scripture, God didn't tell them that they couldn't touch it. Only that if they ate of it, they would die. So that set the stage for she didn't know or comprehend the word of the Lord. So she ended up adding to it. And folks, we've got to be careful. Be careful not to add or take away from the word of the Lord. Amen. So God not only told Adam to not to eat of it, she added the, the not to touch it. So when she did touch the tree and nothing happened, what do you think is going through her mind in those moments? Because her understanding was not to even touch it. So what happens in her mind? Well, nothing happened. Let me go ahead and take a bite of this thing. And she deceived her own self in the process. So it was in the eating that sin happened. Not in the touching of the tree. And that's why we find ourselves studying this portion of Scripture, looking at our own lives. For in the touching of the tree and the fruit, we may not be in sin, but it gives way to the partaking of it from which sin flows. Let me just make sure I, I, that everybody understands. We are told in Scripture that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So we will come into contact with things of the world. That's just part of living in this world, right? But we must be careful lest we partake of the things of the world. Everybody with me? Alright. So Paul, later in the context of Colossians, that, that scripture that I quoted earlier, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. Later on in that chapter, not too many verses down, Paul tells the church in Colossae, he tells them, 
to touch not, taste not, and handle not. As in, simply admonishing them, don't put yourself in a place of temptation or compromise. Does that make sense? We are expected, we're going to be in this world. We're going to be surrounded by people who have different thoughts and philosophies and ways of living that go against the Scripture, that go against the Word of God. But that doesn't mean that we need to be partakers of it. And one way to protect ourselves, and, and maybe, maybe it was Adam that told Eve, maybe he, it was Adam's fault that Eve thought, that she shouldn't touch the tree. We don't know. Was it, a, was it a, a bad thing that she thought that she shouldn't touch it? No, not necessarily. But there's a difference between knowing the word of the Lord and the commands of men. Everybody hear me? There's a difference. Because... What the word of the Lord will say will be different even than what your pastor may require. As a pastor, there may be some, some lines or some, some limits that I may have to put in place for the protection of the church. And those are good and right. But there's a difference between those types of commands and the word of the Lord. Is everybody with me? I hope everybody's with me. All right. So, so the game is not worth playing. So what is the fruit of the tree? John tells us what he means when he says, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, the eyes, the pride of life. When John tells us not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world, he moves forward by telling us what is in the world. And he goes so far as to say all that is in the world. And they're wrapped up in those three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Hopefully you'll begin to remember these scriptures. Because the first two of these three uh, 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 things that are found in the world, uh, the first two of these, as you can tell right away, they are types of lust. And it would be good for us to understand uh, th that John, what John is calling lust. So we're going to talk about that first before we talk about the specific first of these three things. So the word lust is defined in the Greek that Paul would have, would have used. Uh, in the Greek usage that uh, this letter is written in, the lust comes from the word epithumia. It means a longing, especially for what is forbidden. Isn't that just the way our flesh does things? As we want what we shouldn't have? All right, maybe I'm the only one. So it's a, it's a longing. That, that, that means a strong desire. It is uh, what, what uh, one word that we don't really use in our generation is concupiscence. Uh, that is a, a, a sexual desire. 
uh, and it is coveting. We know that that's one of the, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Right? So that word in the Greek comes from the, the root word, which is epithumio, which is made up of two words, epi and thumos. Everybody enjoying the lesson tonight so far? All right. Going to learn Greek. Simply it means to set your heart upon. To set your heart upon. You ever tried to talk somebody out of something that they've already set their heart upon? Or we might say they've already made their mind up? That is so frustrating, especially when it's your kids. You're trying to, trying to give them direction, and they just don't want to hear it. Or, or God help you if you ever get to be a pastor one day and you see people do, doing the things that they've already set their hearts upon. So lust. Lust of any sort sets the direction of the heart. That's the direction of the heart. If we're not watchful, we're not careful, we're not vigilant, then we will be misled by that deceitful thing called the heart. I've already preached about that. Um, I forget if it was this past Sunday or the Sunday before. Whew, God help me. We're talking about the, the heart. So there are different types of lust when you read in the New Testament. The, the writers all begin listing different types of lusts. Uh, it's not a complete list I'm about to give you, but these are, these are some things pulled from, directly from the Scripture. The lust of things, lust of, uh, of concupiscence or that strong sexual desire, lust of the flesh, deceitful lusts, foolish and hurtful lusts, youthful lusts, diverse lusts, worldly lusts, lusts of uncleanness, and ungodly lusts. So these are all things that are, that are pointed out in Scripture that are, are strong desires. And not all of them are sexual. We think of that word lust as sexual. Only, only some of the definitions are sexual. They are strong desires. And let me tell you, it's not just sexual lust that pull people into sin. Take people away from the Lord. So where do these lusts come from? John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. And he says to them, You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. So Jesus points out to those men who were living and walking in their own deception, in their own strong desires for position and power to maintain their, their authorities. He says, you're of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father, those are the things that you're going to do. Where do these lusts come from? Well, that's, that's one source. Another source in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Notice this. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
So, the, so lust is found within the world. And obviously we're talking about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So that is another source of lust. We find lust in our flesh. Lust is found in the old man. Now praise God that, that uh, I, I pray that all of us here that we're, we're seeking to, be, to, be, to crucify the old man and, and walk according to the new life that Jesus has provided. Everybody say amen. But Peter identifies that, that one source of lust comes from the old man. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. He says, As obedient children, not fashioning. Fashioning means conforming. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts. In your ignorance. That's what you used to be. So don't fashion yourself like that. Right? Okay? The last one I'm going to mention uh, as far as sources of lust is found in our own heart. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And we'll talk about that in just... Uh, a little bit more in just a moment. So these are those are the sources of lust. From the devil, from the world, from our flesh, the old man that we used to be, and from our deceitful heart. Now lust is consistently at odds with holiness and godliness. It's what uh, we see choked out the good seed in the parable of the sower and the seed. That, that lust is subject to, uh, if, if the devil is your father, like, like Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, then it's subject to the devil. Lust causes God to give up. Ooh, I don't like saying it like that. Lust causes God to give up. And that's the scripture that we just read that I told you we're going to come back to. Back to Romans one twenty four. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through, their, through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Understand that, that if you are, have such a strong desire that craves or longs for the things of the world, for the ways of sin, we are told in Scripture that, that God will not always strive with man. He's not going to always be fighting you to save you. That's a hard thing to think about. Now, God is always there when you come back. He's always ready to forgive when you return. But you remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember that parable? The son asked his dad, not just asked him, he said he demanded his inheritance. His dad wasn't even dead. He said, give me my portion of the inheritance. And he wanted to go out into the world. And he took his inheritance with him. And the Bible tells us he wasted all of his substance, his money, on riotous living. Now, what we see in that story is dad 
He tried to talk him out of it, but he was not going to fight him about it. He let him go. He gave him the inheritance. God loves you, and he puts things and people into your life to draw you to himself, to help you to walk rightly with him. But God is a gentleman and will not fight you against the strong desires that you express and want to live. Sometimes, the only thing a parent can do is to let their child go. I saw it in my own home growing up. When my brother was doing his own foolish things, Sometimes that's the best thing that can be done. But knowing that they're still there when the son wants to come back home, when the child wants to return. So I want to make sure I get, make, give that, that clearly. We see it multiple times in Scripture that God, uh, when uh, God's people, they wanted, uh, they didn't want uh, judges over them anymore. They wanted a king like the other nations. Well, Samuel the prophet, he was none too happy about that. But God told Samuel, he said, he said, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And he told Samuel, go ahead and anoint a king. And God directed who to anoint as king. Do you see what I'm talking about? We see in our generation that, that we're going to see it more and more that, that on, on people's lives, God is going to be just lifting his hands because we're seeing people lost in their sin and the lusts, the passions, the, the strong desires to do simply what they want to do. God, help us as, as John is writing to the church Understand that. He's not writing to people who are lost in sin. He's writing to the church, to people who are saved. God, help us that we do not find ourselves falling in love with the world, neither the things in the world. So, uh, sin or lust, it causes us to sin, be at odds with the law. If you're, if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, uh, it'll be on the recording uh, scripture references. I'll just give them to you, Romans 7, 7. If we fulfill the lust of the flesh, as Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, then we are not walking in the Spirit. Okay? Those that are Christ's, uh, Galatians 5, 24, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Paul told the Ephesians to put off the former conversation according to deceitful lust. That's Ephesians 4, 22. Lust is what Gentiles do who don't know God. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. Lust causes one to abandon sound doctrine. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. Peter wrote, admonishing his readers in, in 1 Peter 2, 2, verse 11, to abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. It results in sin. And it leads to death. It chokes out the word of God in your life. 
You want, to under, you want me to help you understand that? When you read the Word of God, when you're in your own daily devotional, and you're open the Scripture, and you read what God has to say, and it tells you something that you don't really want to hear, or when the preacher's preaching, and he's preaching the Word of God, and, and something comes across, and God pricks your heart, you feel conviction, but it's not really something you want to do, The lusts of our flesh are at odds with the Scripture. And it will choke out the Word of God in our lives if we are not careful. So that whatever God tells us, that we're not willing to listen. We're not willing to yield and surrender to what God has to say. It remo removes us from communion with the Lord. Lusts will draw you away and entice you into sin for which the penalty is death. And James gives us that illustration in James 1, verse 14. He says, but every man, everybody just say that with me, every man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So, that sets the stage for uh, tonight's lesson and next week. Because in these two lessons, they're talking about the two different types of lust that are listed, listed here by John. He says, all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and then adds the pride of life. So we're going to quickly talk about, I'm, I'm aware of the time, I've got another 45 minutes to go. I will, be, I will be cognizant of the time, so please understand. So, we're talking about the lust of the flesh. So, uh, lust of the flesh, the, that, that word flesh comes from the Greek word sarx. Again, I told you you're going to learn Greek. So, that word is used 151 times in the, New, in the New Testament. It's translated as flesh, carnal, carnally minded, or fleshly. So, when you see those words in the New Testament... Most likely that is from the Greek word sarx. Uh, it's used to mean the meat of an animal for food. It's used to describe our physical bodies. It's used as a symbol of what is external, such as kindred or family. But it describes mainly our human nature with its frailties. Understand that. It describes mainly our human nature and its frailties. We understand from Scripture that flesh is weak. It is the weak element in human nature. It is the seat of sin in man. It is our base nature. It's the lowest form of who we are. And it is associated with this world. In both the physical application as well as the spiritual, for what takes place in the physical affects the spiritual and vice versa. So it is the lowest form of who we are. Your flesh. That's the base element of who we are. How many know that God wants us to come up a little higher? Praise God. He doesn't want us to be stuck in our base element. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, to be born again 
because that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Come up a little higher, Nicodemus. Folks, he's telling us to come up a little higher. Get out of that base element of who you are. That's a sinful, carnal, fleshly nature. You need to be born again. You need to be changed by the power of God into something new. Praise God. So the lust of the flesh is that which is desired, it's longed for, it's coveted for the purpose of consumption and the pleasing of that which appeals to the base part of your nature. Do you hear me? Remember, the flesh that we're referring to is the base element. It's the base part of who we are. And so the lust of the flesh, it, it, it is the craving, it's the desire to please the base part of who we are. The lowest part of who we are. What pleases the physical body and mind. What pleases the will of man. It is what the natural man desires. And the natural man desires those things to the exclusion, to the expulsion, to the detriment of the spiritual man. Do you hear me? I just want to make sure everybody's with me. Because our flesh, let me just put it this way, our flesh wants the lowest things that please the flesh and it doesn't matter what the spirit man wants. I don't care what the spirit wants. I want this. And that's what we're talking about. So just for a moment, if you'll, if you'll humor me, let's, let's try to put a face or, or a name to these things. What would be some of those things that, that our flesh would want to the exclusion of what our, our spirit man wants, of what God wants for us? What would be some of those things? Entertainment? What types of entertainment? Okay. So all of it? I'm just, I'm just, sure, okay. And I, I'm not, I'm just trying to help us dig deeper. So, so, so entertainments, I'm saying it for, for the sake of the recording and those that are worshiping from home. So entertainment, so, so, for yourselves, dive in a little deeper on that, okay? Drugs, absolutely. Especially once you get started. Okay? Uh, internet sexual desires, okay? Pornography. Absolutely. What else? Material things, like what? Keeping up with the Joneses, or, or at least trying to, trying to have the things of this life. Not that those things are bad in themselves, but our desires for them, if it causes us to exclude 
or expel the, the, the plan or working of God in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It, and mon money is okay in itself. It's just a thing. But what does the Bible tell us about it? That the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, do you have to be rich to love money? Not in the least. Because many poor people, I'm one of those poor people, many poor people, they're so desiring to have money that they will do all the things that they can to find that, to please the flesh. So, so let's, let's talk about these things for just a moment. Let's, let's, we're trying to put a face or a name, reality to these things. Because all the things that we've talked about that have been named, they're all right. You're, 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 you're spot on. What about, what about our relationships? Now, when we have a strong desire for these things, what ends up happening? Is we, I'm going to miss church today because I got to I got to get some things done, or I'm going to I'm going to skip my time in in Bible study and prayer because uh, I need to go on a date with with my boyfriend or girlfriend who's not living for God. And so on and so on. We, we begin to exclude the things of God. Do you hear me? They all are part. If They may not be wrong in themselves. But when it causes us, not even to necessarily set them up as an idol, but when it causes us to to set aside the things of God, that's when it becomes the problem. That's when it becomes the lust of the flesh is because I'm going to do what my flesh wants to do. I don't care. Or my flesh doesn't care about what the Word of God says. My flesh doesn't care that, that I ought not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I like that person. I want to be with that person. I see that far too often. That our pursuit of, of worldly gain will, will many times set people, they'll, they'll, they'll cause themselves that, you know what, I just can't make it because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And these are hard things for us to hear, especially if we're the ones doing it. And it's not intended to bring condemnation, but simply to open up the Word of God to us. To show us that, that God not only must be first, but He needs to be the focus, the center of our living. Jesus told us in Matthew 6.33, that, that we, we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. 
That's why it's so important for us to, to understand and believe that the Word of God is right and true. It is the Word of God. And God cannot lie. Because if we believe that, then we're going to believe that Scripture. I challenge you. When you leave tonight, I challenge you to put some thought into this before next week. What are some of those things that, that, that you do? Don't, don't think of yourself as perfect. Look in your own life. Let the Word of God be a mirror to you. What are the things that you have in your life that are lusts of the flesh, that they're pleasing the flesh and pushing aside the Spirit? excluding the plan and purpose of God in your life. All right. You have my, my word. I will be done by 8.30. Or at 8.30. I'll just give that extra. So is that okay? All right. <laughs> If I, if I get to 8.30 and I, it doesn't look like I'm stopping, just everybody just raise your hand, okay? I won't be offended. All right, so the danger, the danger of the lust of the flesh is it, it's alluring. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape them who live in error. So that word allure... Uh, in the original Greek means to entrap means to entrap when they speak these great swelling words of vanity they trap they're, they're, in, they're snares to you through the lust of the flesh I have, I have warned girls be careful of the guy that wants nothing to do with God to stay away from them. And all in all, when all is said and done, they were ensnared. Pulled away from the church. And pulled away from the things of God. I already read you the scripture from James that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. These are things that your flesh wants. And so you've got to have guards in place to keep you on the right path that's a whole whole another topic for another time so th there's a danger in the, the the flesh the the lust of the flesh it's alluring it draws you out it traps you uh, our flesh is an infirmity our flesh is an infirmity again remember it's the base part of us it's the weakest part of us Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. Because you've yielded your members, that's your body, as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. So even now yield your members to servants. So he's, he's admonishing the church to stop surrendering your flesh to the works of of the flesh stop surrendering your flesh to doing unclean unholy ungodly things 
That's what he's saying there. Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus speaking, he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing. Go ahead and finish that. The flesh is weak. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The same root word in, is used in the Greek when Paul talks about the, the infirmity of our flesh as when Jesus talks about the flesh being weak. It's the same word. Infirmity, weak. That's our flesh. That's why we must understand the struggle. Your flesh always wants to give in. Your flesh always wants to be fed. Your flesh always wants more. And it, it's going to have an end result if we give in to the desires, the lusts of our flesh. So what would you say are the lusts of the flesh? Sexual gratification. Revenge. Being uninhibited in will and action. That's undisciplined. Unable to stop yourself from doing what your flesh wants to do. Whether that be pornography, whether it be entertainment, whether it be chasing after money and, and, and working till all hours of the day and doing this and that and all these other things, when there's no discipline to stop and make God the priority and make the Word of God a priority, that what God says is what I need to do. That's why you're going to see listed throughout the New Testament fulfillment of these lusts. Uh, I'm going to give you some, some uh, scripture references. I'm not going to go into them all just simply for the sake of time. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Ephesians 4, 19. Ephesians 5, 3 through 6. 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 3 through 4. They all uh, will say very similar things related to uh, the, the flesh and the lusts of the flesh. But I'll give you this one, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Again, all those other ones give you very similar uh, statements or listings. I'll give you this one, and we'll read this one here. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're, they're made known. Manifest means, means revealed, right? So the works of the flesh are revealed, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh flow from the lusts of the flesh. All of those things are designed or, or, or flow from the craving, the strong desire to do what the flesh wants to do. So what's the flesh trying to do? If the flesh is trying to do something in you, what's it trying to do? It's not just trying to, to feed itself. It's not just trying to, to have money or power or fame or or these these sexual desires it's not just trying to feed these things 
That's not the purpose of it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. What's the flesh trying to do? And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. That word conversation means our behavior, our actions. Are you with me? Among whom we also, all, also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Okay? So we see this, this, this lust of the flesh is doing something. It's working something. Galatians 6, verse 8. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. It's working something in you. It's doing something to you. The more you give in to the lusts of the flesh, the more it's going to draw you, ensnare you, entrap you, and its purpose is to do something, have something happen to you. It's trying to kill you. It's trying to destroy you. Let me give you further evidence. Romans chapter 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, that's the, the suffering or the afflictions of our sins, the motions of sins, which were by the law, what did they do? They did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. That's what it's trying to do to you. Paul already told us just a chapter before, he said the wages of sin is death. That's what the flesh is trying to do. All right, I got eight minutes. The flesh is contrary to the spirit. I think everybody knows what that word contrary means. It means it's at odds. Paul tells the church in Romans, Romans 7 verse 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And he goes on and begins to talk about the good that I want to do, I just, I can't do it. I want to try to stay away from it, but I, I'm drawn to it. And you can, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, but, but he, he makes the statement in verse 24. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now this is one of the apostles, and he's struggling to, to come out of that, that flesh, to be lifted out of that, that base element of who he is. This is like Isaac and Ishmael, the, the children of Abraham. Ishmael, the son of Abraham's flesh, of disobedience, of, well, I'll just call it the lust of the flesh. They wanted a child. But now that created a continual fight against Isaac 
who was the son of promise, who was a miracle. And they are symbolic of the flesh warring against the spirit. That's Romans chapter 9, verse 8. That is that they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise that are counted for the seed. And so Paul tells the church in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he said, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You can't feed both dogs. Some of you know what I'm, what I'm referring to. Whichever, whichever part of your nature you feed is the part that's going to grow strong. It's the part that's going to overtake the other. If you feed your flesh, it's going to be what grows strong in your life. And the spirit will grow weak in your life. But if you feed the spirit by bringing yourself into the house of God when you didn't want to get there, by finding a place of prayer and, and, and devotion and Bible study when, when you uh, were, were too tired to want to get up, the more you feed the spirit, the stronger your spirit man will get. And so we've got to cast off the flesh. Romans 13, 4, 14 says, But you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Galatians 5, 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Hmm. I have a lot of scripture for you today. A lot of Greek words for you too. But that's what we're fighting against. We can point all out to the world all we want to. But we've got to understand that John is telling us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And what we just talked about tonight was the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh will trap you if you're not careful. If you're not keeping your eyes and, and, and heart set upon the Lord. Amen. I'm not going to have you stand because I do want to, I want to turn to one more portion of Scripture. But I want to, it's a fairly lengthy portion. But I want you to read it with me. I'm not, not out loud. But I want you to keep up with me. Because I want to give you hope. <laughs> I like hope. Praise God. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. If you have your Bible with you, it would be great to turn to. I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul tells us as we finish this lesson. You got to say amen. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. 
Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after what? The flesh, but after spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Verse number 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, again, who walk not after what? But after... For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. In other words, that's what you're going to do. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse number 6. For to be carnally minded. That, remember I told you that, that it's translated? That's the same word. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity. It's at, at odds against God. Because it's not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then they that are in the flesh. Notice this. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. But. You are not in the flesh, he says, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Did you catch that? If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're not dwelling in the flesh. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Because if you live after the flesh, he says you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify or, or crucify or kill, you, if you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't that awesome? Paul just lays it all out right there. So I encourage you to go back and read that for yourself. Go back and gain, gain some more clarity for yourself because that's a lot of stuff in there. But you see very clearly the battle of flesh and spirit. And Paul gives us the hope that we need, that, that we can overcome. Not 
in ourselves, but by the Spirit of God in us. Amen. God, we love you tonight. So thankful, so blessed, Lord, for your word. I pray, God, that you would help us tonight to live out your word. God, to, to crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts of it. God, that you would help us, Lord, to walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Lord, we want to draw ever closer to you and not to this world. I pray let our love, Lord Jesus, continue to grow for you every day, every moment of the day, God, seeking to be pleasing to you because we know that if we're in the flesh, we cannot please you. God, I pray that you would be with us. Guide us, Lord, by your Spirit. Lead us, I pray, God, uh, by your Word. Let it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We give you praise and glory in our daily living. In Jesus' name.